0: hey good morning good to see all of you today I have been excited about this weekend for a long time we have the opportunity to introduce a family to you that we have been praying for and searching for for since last fall really we have been on a national search to find uh, our new children's pastor and um, God began to work in in the abbot's heart and in our heart and brought us together and we have found uh, who we believe is not only a great children's pastor who's been doing it for 17 years, but just a a great family with great hearts, integrity, character, love Jesus, love kids, and we are privileged to introduce to you the Abbott family. Would you welcome them with me, and we'll talk to them a little bit. <laughs> Donnie, why don't you say hello to Timberline and introduce us to your awesome family, will you?
1: Well, hello, Timberline. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, let me introduce you to my wife, Shauna. Shauna and I have been married for uh, going on 16 years. This is our oldest, Jack. Jack is 13. And then this little guy right over here, this is Owen. Owen, tell him how old you are. Seven. Owen, <laughs> seven. Honey, did you want to tell him how old you are? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we have another little guy right over there <laughs> that is Wyatt Wyatt is five years old and he was afraid of you guys <laughs> But we just moved here from Portland, Oregon, where we were, uh, uh, we were there for the last three and a half years while I was attending Multnomah Seminary and finishing up my grad degree. And we're just really uh, looking forward to spending more time with you folks here. You
0: guys need to help me confirm that, that we don't normally get like 14 inches of snow in May. I've been telling them that. So, but they're not believing me yet. Uh, we we are so thrilled to have them here in Fort Collins. They've already found a house, and have moved in, and we're excited about that. Donnie, tell us a little bit about some of the things you're excited about just in the near future, things coming up.
1: Yeah, I really believe the best is yet to come uh, with our children's ministry. I'm really excited about getting more of you folks, more adults involved in our children's ministry. You know, experts tell us that uh, most Christians come to faith in Christ before the age of four. So that tells me, and it should tell us, that what we do in children's ministry has eternal consequences, and it yeah. presents a great opportunity. I'm also excited about uh, the decorating ideas that we have uh, in the midst going on, uh, just to try to make our children's ministry a more welcoming place yeah. to kids and families. I'm excited about our growing special needs ministry. I'm also excited about putting a band together for our elementary age kids, and just really uh, engaging them in in worshiping of God.
0: Awesome. Exciting. So that means there's going to be lots of opportunities. So if somebody Mm. wanted to help out, what should they do?
1: Yeah, definitely. If you'd love to help out and and invest in kids, uh, after the service, if you go out to Serving Central out there in the lobby, uh, there'll be some people out there with green Timber Kids shirts on and you can just engage them in conversation and if it's if you just want to hold babies or if you want to lead a small group of kids or maybe more behind the scenes and checking families in uh, there's plenty of opportunities for you to get involved. So we'd love love to visit with you.
0: Yeah, boy, as a former youth pastor, I don't know of any place more worthy of the investment of time and energy than children and student ministries. So I hope that you'll let God speak to your heart about getting involved. I want us to pray for this family, so I'd ask for you to to join me in doing that. God, we thank you for the Abbott family. Thank you for Donnie and Shauna and Jack and Owen and Wyatt and for the journey they've been on as a family and for the journey we've been on as a church and for your divine providence bringing us together. I thank you for their character, their heart for you, and their love for kids. I pray, God, that you will protect them, that, God, you will make Fort Collins really feel like home quickly. I pray especially for the kids as they meet new friends and begin a new journey, plug into new schools, that, God, it will feel like home quickly as well for them, that we will embrace them and love them and encourage them and support them and pray for them. And God, that you will begin to do in the lives of our kids, not only at Timberline, but in all of Fort Collins, above and beyond what we've even asked for, what we've even imagined in our wildest dreams, that you would accomplish great things in our kids. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Will you say thank you one more time to Donnie and Shauna? Well, our film for this weekend that serves as a springboard for our conversation today is obviously very different from our film last weekend. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas is a movie about a Nazi soldier who is promoted to oversee a concentration camp, and so he moves his family to a new house that's just down the way from this concentration camp. They have a son who's eight years old by the name of Bruno who loves to explore and is missing old friends, and so curiosity takes him through the back garden, through the woods, to the edge of this concentration camp where he meets another little eight-year-old boy who is a Jew who's on the other side of the electric fence named Shmuel, and they become friends. And I won't ruin the movie in case you haven't seen it and decide that you would like to see it, but it is a powerful film about evil, about pain and suffering and innocence and friendship. There's a man by the name of Primo Levi who was an Auschwitz survivor who wrote a book titled If This Is a Man. And in that book, he makes this statement. He says, if there is an Auschwitz, then there cannot be a God. About 40 years later, just before he would end his own life, he would take a pencil and he would make a note in his copy of that book next to that line. The note that he would handwrite into the book says, I find no solution to the riddle. I seek, but I do not find it. Now last weekend, we asked the question, can I be happy? today we ask the question, what about pain and suffering? It's not a new question. In fact, it's probably a question that's been around since human beings have existed. It's been passed through century after century. But a question that usually has unsatisfying answers for the one who asks it from a place of devastating pain we all understand that it's a very different question when the question is asked by someone who is suffering than when it is a question for philosophical or theological debate it has a completely different feel coming from someone in the midst of suffering the pages of scripture are filled with people who experienced suffering and pain who had questions who had doubts who experienced even disillusionment, and who had to grapple with the reality of God belief and yet the existence of pain and suffering in their own lives. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. We don't have time to unpack the circumstances of his birth, but a very powerful experience of how He was born, and the prophetic nature of his birth and his existence, John the Baptist had a very specific and focused purpose in life, and it was to prepare the way for the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who would bring deliverance not only to Israel but to all of the world. He was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. That was his purpose. And he lived that purpose with a single-minded focus. He came in the way of the Old Testament prophets, the way he dressed, the food that he ate. He was an Essene, which means he lived out in the desert. He preached out in the desert, and he preached a message of repentance, a call for Israel to turn back to God. And he preached with boldness and courage, so much so that he confronted Herod, who had taken his brother's wife to be his own, and that confrontation led to John being put in prison. If you look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to just look at two verses until we close out our time together. But it begins by by saying this, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now that's a huge question for John the Baptist to ask because he had given his life to say, this is the one. John the Baptist is the guy who, when he was baptizing people at the Jordan River and saw Jesus approaching, announced to the whole crowd, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the one who said that he was not worthy to even carry the sandals of Jesus. He had given his life to announce that Jesus was indeed the one that was sent from God, and now he's in prison, suffering. And Jesus is not doing it the way John anticipated that he would do it. Jesus seems to be saying yes to every party invitation he gets. He's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Some are saying he's a drunkard and a glutton. And John is in prison and he's suffering. And Jesus is not meeting his expectations. And he's confused and he's doubting. And so he asks the question, are you really the guy? Or did I miss it? Have I lived my life in vain? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in that book, he says that the problem with pain in its simplest form is this. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. That's the problem of pain. Os Guinness calls it a trilemma. That's the language he uses. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Here is the trilemma as Os Guinness sets it forth. He says this, number one, evil and suffering exist. We all know that to be true. We don't have to look very far. Many of us don't have to look beyond our own lives to know that that's true. But secondly, Scripture reveals that God is good. God is good. Thirdly, Scripture also reveals that God is all-powerful. And therein lies the tension. This trilemma, as Oz Guinness describes it, evil and suffering exist, but God is good and God is all-powerful. What do we do with that trilemma? What about pain? And suffering now this is a huge and complex question for us to grapple with and it usually at least for me it usually leads to more questions than it leads to answers usually it leads to more direct and pointed questions like why in the midst of suffering why why did it happen why is this happening to me and the second question it often leads to is where is God In the midst of it all, where is God? Whether we're talking about the Holocaust, or genocides, or human trafficking, school shootings, a tsunami in Indonesia, an earthquake in Haiti, Hurricane Katrina, or the Boston Marathon bombings, or whether we're talking about more individualized experiences of pain, Like the betrayal of trust of someone we love or the the loss and death of someone we love deeply or some other physical disease or ailment or whatever it may be, whatever the form of suffering, the question usually comes down to why and where is God? And here's the challenge that we face with those questions. Most attempts at neatly packaged answers actually tend to bring more pain and more confusion, and even anger and resentment to the one suffering instead of relief. So, rather than attempt to answer questions, today what I would simply like to do is offer observations that might help shape how we deal with the tension of the reality of God and yet the reality of pain and suffering in our world and for many of us in our lives. Over the years as a pastor, part of what goes with the territory of being a a pastor is to see a great deal of pain and suffering in people. And I have sat with people in times of devastating and tragic loss, unspeakable pain, literally unspeakable where they couldn't form words to pass through their vocal cords, only groans from deep within their soul. And many of you have seen the same thing many of you have experienced that depth of pain and so i too as a pastor have wrestled and continue to wrestle with the questions that are shaped by that kind of pain not just the question why do bad things happen to good people but just as perplexing is the question why why do bad things not seem to happen to some people or why do good things seem to happen to bad people, all of these questions begin to form. I've seen people who experience what can only be described as a supernatural, miraculous intervention from God. I've seen that. And experienced that. I've seen even doctor documented no explanation except for something supernatural has intervened into the life of someone and the circumstances have changed. And I've also been with people where we've prayed and we've prayed and we've trusted and we've believed and there was no perceivable miracle to be found. I suspect many of you are probably in the same boat and have had the same kinds of experiences. And at the end of the day, I usually end up with more questions than I do with answers. But there are a couple of things that are pretty constant for me in the face of suffering. One is that it never really gets easier. And the truth is, I'm thankful for that because we live in a culture where our exposure due to technology and media, we have exposure to suffering all over the world, continually across whether it's television screen or social media whatever the source we're exposed to so much suffering it is easy for us to just flip a switch in our own hearts and in our own lives and become callous to the reality of the plight of human suffering and injustice around our world and I pray that for followers of Jesus it would never be routine that we would never grow callous that it would always touch us deeply, that it would never get easier to see the brokenness that exists in humanity. That's one thing that's constant. The other thing that I think becomes constant, if you are taking notes, you can jot this down, is that there's always something inside of us that says the world should have been different. The world should have been different. This is not as it was intended to be. At a gut level, I think we all feel that in the face of suffering, especially suffering at the hands of other human beings, which accounts for the large majority of suffering around the world, is suffering at the hands of other human beings. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, there is something in us that reacts and says, this ought not to be this way. The biblical story affirms those feelings. It affirms that idea. The biblical narrative speaks of a creation that was good, created by God, including the creation of humanity. It was good, but it has become marred by humanity's choice to live our own story, our own way, to be our own God and our own king. And therefore, what is good has become marred and broken. In theological terms, we call it the fall. The fall, when sin became a part of the human experience, along with suffering and evil and all of the other things that go with it. Os Guinness, in his book Long Journey Home, says that if suffering is the result of the fall rather than creation, then pain, suffering, and death are abnormal and alien not normal and natural. And there's something in us that bears witness to that truth. There, it's incriminating evidence of what almost all human beings feel in the face of evil and that is that this ought not to be this way. The Christian response to evil and suffering, the response of followers of Jesus is not to detach from it, as is advocated in in a number of Eastern philosophies, nor is it the survival of the fittest. The response of followers of Jesus to human suffering and evil is to engage, to engage in human suffering and to make a difference with our lives. I've talked about Gary Haugen before. Gary Haugen Started an organization called International Justice Mission. He started it because of his experience in leading the investigation for the United Nations into the Rwandan genocide. It so captured his heart, he formed this organization that goes to the defense of, of people who are oppressed all around the world, from child labor to slave labor to sex trafficking, all sorts of injustices. So Gary Haugen has a front row seat to much of the suffering that happens all around our world. In a book he wrote that's called, Terrify No More, he says that for many of us, the ugliness and the abuse and oppression in our world leads us, quite understandably, to ask the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? But then he goes on to say, more and more, the more he has experienced seeing the suffering of the innocent, the crushing of the weak, he finds himself asking a different question. Less and less does he say, where is God? And more and more he asks the question, where are God's people in the face of this suffering? The world is not as it was intended to be. And the Christian response to evil and suffering is to engage. That's the first observation. The second observation is that our God has wounds. Our God has wounds there's a song that we sing here at timberline that has a line in it that says there is no one like our god nowhere is that more true in the truth of this statement that our god has wounds no other god has wounds the old testament prophet isaiah said this prophesying about jesus surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by men and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The biblical story is one of a God who became one of us in Jesus and died a tortured criminal, like a tortured criminal, naked on a Roman cross. He defeats evil by taking it upon himself the worst that evil could dish out and then overcoming it in light of the reality of the cross dostoevsky wrote these words he said i do not know the answer to the problem of evil but i do know love i don't know the answer to the problem of evil but i do know love i see it in the cross john Stott said this, he said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? But Our God is not immune to pain. Our God has wounds. See, the silence of the Bible over why God permits evil is outweighed by the shout of what God is doing about it. Os Guinness says that in the crucifixion of Jesus, sheer and utter evil meets sheer and utter love. Unadulterated love wins out over unadulterated evil. No one can ever go so low that God in Jesus has not gone lower. And that horrendous evil act on the cross that looked as, as, as though it were the final obliteration of goodness and humanness actually served, for God's deepest identification with his creatures. There is hope for victims. There's even forgiveness for perpetrators. Our God has wounds. The third observation I would make, and this one can be difficult, is that God can redeem pain. God can redeem pain. Now I know that's the last thing a person wants to hear when they're in the middle of suffering. And pain and I've been a pastor long enough to have been around enough conversations and heard enough stories about how sometimes we as Christians can become so flippant and even sometimes arrogant and insensitive when we're talking to people who are in the midst of pain I mean you just look at the story of Job and what his helpful friends had to offer as to why he was suffering and we get a picture of unfortunately what still happens and with a smile on our face, we sometimes can say, "God's trying to teach you something," and in our heart, we're thinking, "I'm about to teach you something," <laughs> right? We no one wants to hear that, or things like, "If you just had more faith, that's the problem," or "What sin in your life is resulting in what you're going through." While it's been abused and while those are are silly responses, the truth is this is not a commentary about the source of pain, but it certainly is a statement about the stewardship of pain. God will steward our pain if we allow him to. In other words, God will never waste a pain if we allow him to be in the middle of it and to use it. That's why James wrote these words in the New Testament. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, I am convinced that there are some things that God can only work into our lives through trials of many kinds. Again, it's not a commentary on the source of pain, but it certainly is a commentary on the stewardship of pain and that God will use it. I know that's not a popular statement in a culture that makes happiness its supreme value, but I believe that it's true. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And one of the greatest tools that God can use is the pain in our lives. Now it doesn't mean we should go looking for pain. How many of you have discovered that pain has a way of finding us? So we don't have to look for it. But as we encounter pain, if we will allow him to, God will redeem it and he will use it to grow us and to glorify him. Finally, the fourth observation is that this is not the end. This is not the end this life as we know it is not the end God's grand redemptive story of restoration and renewal is headed somewhere now that will be the focus of next weekend's question as we begin to look at where are we all headed so we won't say much about it here except to say that we are to live today in a way that points to where we are headed that's how we are lived are to live today. And we'll unpack that more next weekend. But before we wrap up our time together, we need to get back to our friend John who's in prison. John who gave his life to prepare the way for Jesus, who's now in prison, who's suffering who's suffering for doing exactly what he was called to do. All of us can relate to the reality of suffering as a result of our own choices, right? We've all done that. We've all done stupid things and paid the price for it. But John is suffering because he did exactly what God called him to do, and he finds himself in a moment of doubt, and he sends his friends, his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one, or should we wait for someone else? Look at what Jesus says back. Matthew 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now that's an interesting answer to a very simple question. All he's asking is, are you the guy... And Jesus tells him some things that certainly are indicators of the Messiah. Certainly. They are echoes of the kingdom of God. So certainly that's true. But it started out by saying when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, it would appear he already knows that. I read that and I think to myself, why can't you just tell this guy yes? Why can't you just say yes, John, you did good? I am the one, and here's why it's happening this way, and here's the plan. It's all, it's all taken care of. You can die fulfilled and at peace and know that you, you did not live your life in vain. You did what we called you to do. Why can't he just say yes? Instead, he tells John basically what John already knows. But then he tags on one last sentence to tell John. Verse 6, he says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And what does that mean? I mean, Jesus just said, go tell John that blind people are seeing, deaf people are hearing, lepers are being cured, the dead are even being raised. Who who falls away because of that? I mean, when have you ever thought in your mind, if I see one more blind guy able to see, that's it, I'm done, I'm not following anymore. (laughs) What is he talking about? See, but here's what Jesus is communicating. The same God who opens blind eyes and opens deaf ears and heals the leper is the same God who will leave John in prison and John will die a gruesome death as the result of a seductive dance of a young woman and a foolish promise of a king. In other words, what Jesus is saying to John is blessed is the one who does not fall away when I don't meet their expectations. Or maybe a better way to say it, is blessed is the man or woman who will still trust a God they don't always understand. And I would suggest that where the rubber meets the road when it comes to faith is in that question, will you put your trust in a God you don't always understand? who doesn't always make sense. You know, we sang a song earlier this morning that was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, who was a wealthy lawyer in Chicago. He and his wife lost a son tragically, and not long after that, the great fire that hit Chicago in the 1800s wiped out almost all of his properties, and they lost uh, most of what they had in those fires. He decided to send his wife and his daughters to Europe on a boat to get away, to recover from the devastation they had experienced. He had business to take care of in Chicago. He would follow later. He got word in Chicago that the boat his wife and four daughters were on had a collision, and all four of his daughters drowned. When he finally was able to get in a boat himself to sail across the ocean to meet up with his grieving wife, as he was in the boat on the same waters where his four daughters died, he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. This world is not as it was intended to be. It will be one day. But until that time, our calling is to trust this God who is no stranger to pain and suffering, but who has wounds of his own, and to let him redeem our pain and our suffering for our growth and for his glory. And until he makes all things new, finally and completely, we are to engage in the suffering of this broken world and stand with the oppressed against injustice. It's our calling as followers of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? As we close in prayer this morning, I wanna pray particularly for those of you in this room who find yourself for whatever reason in a place of pain and suffering. Whether it sources loss, a diagnosis, a physical ailment, a broken relationship, loss of financial resources whatever the nature what I don't want to happen I want this message to be very authentic and real but it's not a message that lacks hope because it was God who said for us to bring our needs to him not as some distant deity in the cosmos but as a father I want us to pray for those of you in this room today who finds yourself hurting, pain, suffering for whatever reason, if that's you, would you just hold up your hand, just raise up your hand and say, include me because I hurt today. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them right back down. Hands all over this room. Father, you, you saw the hands that were lifted to you. You saw even the hearts that couldn't muster the strength to even lift a hand. You know the depth of hurt and pain and suffering. And so we bring these needs to you as a father who loves us and who cares. We ask you, oh God, to give us faith. Not, not faith in the magic of our words, not faith in our merit as though we deserve something, not faith in some mystical force called faith, but faith in the God who has revealed himself in Jesus and through the pages of scripture, we put our faith in you and we ask you for help, for healing, for restoration, for hope, for provision, for reconciliation, for guidance and for wisdom and for discernment. We ask you, oh God, for help. For some, oh God, that you would deliver right out of the situation and for others that you would give the strength and resolve to see it through. Whatever the case may be, we ask you, oh God, our Father, for help. God, I also pray for each one in this room that is a follower of you that we would not allow our exposure to the suffering around the world to make us callous and disconnected, but rather, God, that we would let it touch us deeply, that we would let it bring us to tears, and that we would act out of compassion and love, that we would engage in the plight of human suffering and injustice around the world, however you would lead us, however you you would choose to use us in a brave way, oh God, that we would demonstrate your love in tangible ways around the world and right here across the street in our own neighborhoods. And finally, I pray for those who, for whatever reason, have led them into this room today, and the journey they've been on has been a journey of seeking and, and exploring the claims of Jesus and who you are. And God, if this is the moment of faith, I pray that they would put their hope and their trust in a God with wounds, that they would recognize that those wounds were taken for them, that they could be forgiven and reconciled to a holy God and that they would turn from living for themselves and surrender to you as king and you as Lord and begin a whole new journey with you, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, we ask you for the strength today to know that that's true, that it can be well with our soul, that you give us a joy that surpasses our circumstances, that runs like a river deep within us. Give us the strength to trust you even when we don't understand you. And may we be instruments in your hands to touch the lives of others who are hurting and who are broken. Thank you for loving us. Lord, we may bring questions to the table, and we may have questions uh, until that day where your plan is fully consummated. But one thing has been settled, and that is your love for us demonstrated once and for all in the giving of your Son, Jesus. And because of that truth, we can say, it is well with our soul. We pray this and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. Bless you. If you would like prayer, we have a prayer team that would love to meet with you and pray with you and for you. Otherwise, hopefully we'll see you this Wednesday night. God bless you as you go.